You are listening to Worst Show Ever. I'm your host, CJ Boyd. I am here in the home of Bruce Lamont. We are in Chicago. Bruce has an awesome place. I, I always have this desire to give people a, a scene, and I don't even know where to start with your, your red <laughs> place. There's a lot of cool paraphernalia everywhere. Um, some satanic stuff that's pretty sweet, but then also like pictures of, I'm guessing, your nieces sweet. and... and oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, right I have, uh, yeah my, my nephews and my niece, I love them to death, so yeah. I, have, I have tons of photos of them, and, you know. There's a rainbow unicorn head. Yeah, that's, uh, I, wear that, I wear that brain tentacles, okay. so that's gotcha. it's my... Found that in Montreal. Awesome. Girlfriend bought it for me. It was really sweet. So. Awesome. Sabrina yeah. Rush is also here, um, and it's, we're actually going to um, get stories from both of them. I was trying to think. I don't even know where to start. I, so I know both of you guys from Chicago. I lived here in end of 2007, beginning of mm-hmm. 2008. Uh, Bruce and I worked at the Empty Bottle together. Used to work at. I still I still work for the the, the entity known as the Empty Bottle. Okay. I'm not there that often. Okay. I, I still rear my ugly head every once in a while. Okay. Uh, friends band plays, or yeah. usually on the holidays, you know, everyone goes home and no one can work but me because okay. I live in Chicago. So <laughs> right. I so I'm there all the month of December. Right, <laughs> so right. I'll be I'll get gear enough. So <laughs> otherwise, I'm at Methalia Hall mostly. So, okay, yeah. Methalia Hall is now run by it's, the same. It's Bruce owns it right. as well. So gotcha. yeah, different Bruce. Yeah, the, uh, the, the other Bruce. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and Sabrina, we I think we met at Ronnie's. Yes, we did. In 2007, it was like one of my favorite shows for at that time. Uh, Cellmates it was the last show of Cellmates. Yes. And um, mm-hmm. at the time, I was on tour, attempting a promo tour, and then that failed. <laughs> <laughs> and I decided to move to Chicago to play music with a handful of people, including Sabrina. And then I only lived here for like five months because then I went back out on promo tour. <laughs> but you're living here now, but kind of back and forth between Nashville. Do you want to say anything about, I guess, other projects that you play in currently? Um, well, I guess when we met, I was playing in Cellmates, and that was the end of it. And since then, I've mainly been touring with a band called State Champion. Right. Um, I've been in that band for 10 years now. We're about to put out our fourth record and go on tour for that cool. to support it. Oh, sweet. Um, and yeah, that's my main musical project. I've also been a tour manager uh, worked as one for about seven years and also helped run a festival in Louisville that happens right. every fall called Craft Out. Right, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to both of you guys because you, you wear these different musical hats where you're both musicians, obviously, first and foremost, and then have these other roles within the musical game. Mm-hmm. And you said you were going to maybe talk about a story from Craft Out times? Yeah, yeah yes. okay. it's uh, on my mind right now. Um, it's happening in two weeks. It's, it'll be our eighth year. And uh, I've just been thinking a lot about the whole, having watched it grow from what it began as to what it is. Um, So just briefly, it's a festival in Louisville, Kentucky that um, is booked and run by my bandmate and state champion, Ryan Davis. Mm -hmm. Um, He sort of conceives of the lineup and books the bands and then gives it to a group of people that we're all friends and just work together creatively a lot and have over the years um, and everybody helps make it happen yeah. so uh, we've come a long way I think in you know figuring things out and doing it better but the first couple of years were pretty funny the first year just sort of proverbially like 
there was bad weather and it rained and it was windy and a lot of the stages were outside and the attendance was low and (laughs) you know like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong sort of yeah um but the second year in particular i I think is um a fun one because we had a raw warehouse space that we did it in the second year that we worked hard to get into shape and um unbeknownst to us in the in the front of the building there was an interior designer who was getting ready to open his shop for the first time okay. a grand opening and it was supposed to happen like the week after cropped out but he changes his mind and decides he wants to open it the day that cropped out starts okay so there are all kinds of people in this space um, the warehouse was kind of located on a lot that had an, a garden where we also had a stage so um, there were lots of different kinds of people mixing but I think the funniest or worst part of this whole event was the closing party um, at which Scratch Acid played and basically the interior designer has his opening the night cropped out starts and two days later is the closing party and at this point he's on a sort of regular schedule with his employees and the closing whatever right. um, but one of them sets the alarm wrong uh, this is probably like sometime in the early evening, and uh, the alarm goes off. It's tripped. Okay. So the cops show up, and rather than going to the interior design shop, they go around the corner to the door where the green room is for scratch acid. Okay. And they think someone's broken in, so they have all their guns drawn, <laughs> oh, and they knock on the door, and David Yao answers the door and is just there at gunpoint. And oh, from shit. all these like Louisville police and you know so I think <laughs> I was the only one who was like in the building at that point everyone had left to go get coffee or and things okay. and a cop walks in and I'm setting stuff up and she just goes are you with these guys who say they're in a band out here and I was just <laughs> like uh, yeah I am <laughs> she said come with me so I walk out and they have all the cops have the entire band lined up against oh, the wall geez. outside oh, in handcuffs. <laughs> like still have their guns drawn. <laughs> wow. And you know, we kinda like talk it through and everything's okay, they let him go, but you know, obviously the band is freaked out. They're like, <laughs> What is going on here yeah. in Louisville, Kentucky? Yeah. So, you know, the show goes on and we get to a point where the opening acts play and then scratch acid goes on and halfway through their set the cops show back up. And they tell them that they've received like noise complaints and that they have to stop playing right then or they're going to arrest them all and they're gonna have to come back and go through you know court and all this stuff oh and uh, so James Artery who was also involved in like the founding of cropped out originally with Ryan um, he had broken his leg that year as well going into the festival so he was on crutches and uh, I mean I'm sorry I think it was his foot um, but either way, he had to like hobble up to the front of the stage and like tell them that they had to like get off the stage. Oh my God! So David Yao starts ripping in, and the Louisville cops are <laughs> on the microphone talking about being at gunpoint like earlier that day, and you know we had to stop the show early, so didn't get to finish their set. Oh man! Oh, were they the last band? They were the last band. Okay. It was like the epic triumphant right. end of the whole thing, and I feel like in reflecting on like past cropped outs and like you know how there's always something every year that happens like right. a power transformer blows or right. um someone's late and we have to like figure out how to juggle the schedule or yeah uh, but yeah thinking back that year in particular was pretty it felt really bad at the time yeah. to have to like cancel it but it's a 
an, a story now. And Ruth, you're saying I didn't realize this. You run Pitchfork. I'm on sort of the other side of the festival world, where I don't deal with the artists so much. I'm right. still dealing with um, concessions and the bars and food yeah. stuff. So okay. I'm, yeah, I've been. Um, I'm now the grounds manager for Pitchfork. So basically, okay. I just I just walk the fest. I turn my step counter on on my phone and I walk 30 miles a day. Okay, just putting out small fires, making sure things are yeah. running smoothly in front of house. You know, right. Um, so I don't have any like good like war stories like that. I mean, we had a couple of weather instances. You know, where you know we had to you know threats of tornado or right. rain or I mean like the one time Bjork's like, okay, tornado coming. Bye-bye. And she walked off the stage. I, I like, burst out laughing. I just, she just goes, okay, like you have to go now. Of her set, right? Oh, it's like, yeah, they cut her like 20 minutes. Somebody like whispered in her ear and she's like, okay. <laughs> and she just goes, bye. And we left and, and we all ran for the, you know, ran for the field house and we're like, okay, thanks for the warning. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I've been doing that. I did, um, I was working in Austin for a number of years, like, um, Fun, fun, fun fest. I got hired down there to do that. Some South by Southwest things. And cool. same thing, like I said, mostly just like, you know, dealing with weather stuff. Uh, you know, a couple of unruly patrons that needed to, you know, be yeah. escorted off the grounds and stuff. Right. But really, in the grand scheme of things, it's like not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's totally. like whatever. So, yeah. uh, you know. Pitchforks actually run extremely well. Okay. I think I feel I feel like Mike Reed and um, and Dave Rempus, you know, have been involved in that for all these years. Have done a really really amazing job. Yeah, uh, taking care of the staff and like just just a safe place and like you know, the program is good and like yeah, people that come there are generally pretty respectful and like cool yeah. cool. You know, yeah. When you put seventeen thousand people on you know the same grounds, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's neat. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you got your you got your kids that are like hopping the fences and stuff, and it's like, yeah, yeah, all right, whatever. You, yeah. can, you don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you stop! Right, I'm not that's sort of the things when I was definitely one of those kids jumping the fence. Yeah, when man, we all were. Yeah, when I'm out there like near a fence, and they're like, "Hey, do you see any?" I'm like, "I, I'm not an arc man." <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I want the festival I mean, to do well. Like, yeah. I feel like a hypocrite being one of the people to like stop and jump. I mean, I shouldn't even be saying this, like, but yeah, so do I. I'm, I'm the grounds manager. I'm like, well, you figured out a way to get in. Congratulations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I, I don't, yeah, it's fine. So, yeah. I mean, I have had to chase a few folks that have gone over the fence down and, yeah. and caught them and had to escort them out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is my job. But yeah. at the same time, like I said, you know. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious. You, we sort of, before we started recording, we were all sort of talking about how. Wearing these different hats, and you've you've been you've been touring for twenty five years or something, you know. That, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm curious to hear what what kind of story you. Want well, to yeah, share. and you asked me to do this, you know, a while back. I was thinking about it, and I, I guess just in having been touring for that long, you know, you start to get a little thicker skin, so sure. things don't bother you as much. You know, like yeah. I said twenty years ago, you know, but have a. A, a bad vocal performance I'd be crying in the bathroom for two hours afterwards yeah. now it's like whatever <laughs> you know I'm kidding but uh so I was thinking about like a specific like oh shit moments like things that really kind of yeah. on the road and uh, I came up with the, I have a couple so okay. I could start with this I yeah. guess uh 2004 Yakuza's on tour we were in I believe it was Birmingham Alabama and back then I used to tape uh, do you know what an SM98 microphone is? The small little ones, sometimes they use them for tom drums. Yeah. They have a really thin black cable that comes off them, but they're really small. They sound great. They're good, they're, they're good for horns, they're good for drums. And uh, I used to tape that microphone inside the bell 
so I can just like pick up the horn and walk around and not yeah. really think about things. And also at that time, um, I used to uh, have, this is a tenor saxophone, uh, yeah. the, I would have the stand on the front of the stage about about at the height I can just grab it. So it was a lot higher up than, than normal. Most most saxophone players that have it on a stand have it down low, close to the ground, just in case, you know, a little boop, boop, you know, yeah. whatever. I wanted it so I can just grab it, or I can even just walk up to the stand and actually play the saxophone. And in, in Yakuza, you play? Do you, you play guitar too, or something no, else? No, I just or? I just sing and play saxophone. Sing and play saxophone, but right. right. But so you're putting it down. I'm putting it on a stand when you're singing. It, right, exactly. Yeah, so, so you know, typical Yakuza show back in 2004. Probably 15 people there. <laughs> Maybe probably not even 1.5. No, there's there's a, at least two because it goes with the story. And uh, <laughs> stage is really dark, darker than normal. You know, couldn't see anything, and went up to the mic. You know, blah 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 blah. And I turned around. I did a little leg kick, a little, little move, <laughs> and uh, that little cable I was talking about happened to be wrapped around my foot. Okay. And when I kicked, <laughs> oh, shit. a saxophone flew off the stand into those 15 people who parted <laughs> like the Red Sea and I had just enough time nobody tried to catch nobody it nobody tried to catch oh it literally it was like that's all I saw I turned my head and I saw all these people go and in slow motion I saw the saxophone flying in the air up 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 hits the ground and literally exploded oh, fuck. keys flew everywhere oh my and I God. just go fuck <laughs> you know I'm like no oh I mean my gosh. these things are they're fragile. <laughs> they are expensive. Um, luckily, I have. There's a guy named Paul Maslin. I'm getting a little shout out. PM yeah. Woodwin in Evanston. He's my he's my my dude. Yeah, he yeah. can fix anything. Uh, yes. So yes, I watched the saxophone fly off the stage and bust into a million pieces while everyone's just standing there looking at me like, "What are you gonna do now?" I'm like, <laughs> Great. And oh, here's the weird thing: is that that is the only tour since I've been playing saxophone live that I brought a backup. Oh, I had another oh. horn with me, and I have not had one since, and I had not had one before. Just this one tour, I had, I had like a, a shittier tenor that I bought when I was a kid, and I just happened to. I don't know why I brought it with. I just did, and I was oh. so I didn't miss a beat. I ran backstage. I mean, I collected whatever I could off the floor, and, <laughs> you know, ran backstage, got the other saxophone, was back on stage, and finished the set. I was, you know, extremely upset because that was like that's my baby. That's good. Yeah, yeah. It's the one yeah. I still have today. Um, well, so that was. You, it busts into a bunch of pieces, but like it was fixable. Like not right then and there. No, no, no. no. I had to just put it all in a bag and, but, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then take it no, home. I mean, you know. I mean, like sometimes with with instruments, they still like with cars, they call it like totaled, where yeah. like, the amount it would cost to uh, fix it is more like, than it would. Like I said, Paul's a genius. <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, I, I had a friend that from uh, this band Infernaut out of L.A. who. Uh, Decided he was going to dress up as Eric Dolphy for Halloween one year, okay. and he had a bass clarinet, and he got yeah. drunk, and he sat on it and broke it in half. <laughs> it was because uh, it was a hard plastic, yeah, for, like a, yeah. like rubber hard, yeah. And uh, he was telling me the stories we were on tour, and I was like, "You still have it?" He's like, "Yeah, I don't know, I'm going to fix it." I'm like, "I do. I know someone going to fix it." He's like, "Really? Get it fixed. It's yours." I'm like, "Okay." Whoa. So I took it to Paul and his people, and they put the, you know. We can do this. They, they fused with this. That okay. I have it. It's in, it's in the other room right there. So Is that the, the bass clarinet you played yeah, on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Is that the one? I mean, you played on my record yeah, recently. That's, that's the bass clarinet I used. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, yeah. so, no, these things can be fixed. I mean, I literally, I mean, these are tours where I'm already broke going in, going to be way more broke when I get out of it. Yeah. And now I got to get this saxophone fixed and it's not going to be cheap, you know? So it's like. Right. 
But what I mean is, so in terms of total, though, so I'm going based on just one experience where I, uh, my grandfather passed and left me a violin. Okay. And I had just started learning. I mean, I wasn't any good. I was still right. sounding terrible on it. But I was moving from Nashville to New York, and I had all my stuff. I mean, like a minivan full yeah. of stuff, yeah, yeah. and someone rear-ended me. Uh. Uh, and I was actually parked. I was like on the side of the road. But this, it was like right before you get on the freeway. Mm -hmm. And this woman, I think she had two kids in the background. I think she had like her head turned and was just like trying to deal with her kids. Yeah. And just plowed into me. And it broke a bunch of stuff. But the worst thing was the violin, which was on the top of the pile, as she hit my van, it just, the violin just sort of from inertia just stayed where it was as the van moved forward. Oh. And like went out the back window. And then when I, and I was fine, like I got out probably mild whiplash but nothing major and I was like shocked and then was I was with a friend and I was sort of like are you okay yeah I think we're okay and then I like get out of the van to see if the other person's okay and what's up and I see that her car is parked on my violin oh, <laughs> oh no is, the violin is like under her tire yeah and I'm like oh, okay that's not good that's and I took it to somebody and they said it was totaled yeah was I like, mean I guess they were like it is possible to put this back together, yeah. but it would cost you considerably more than it would yeah. just to buy this same instrument. Yeah. But in this case, was it like sentimental value or was the amount? Uh, it was, no, it was worth it. I mean, it he, was still, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, mean, I told him what happened and yeah. you know, I, I had collected all the pieces that fell off it, which was right. a lot of stuff. But he was <laughs> like, this is unfortunate this happened, but I can't fix it. Yeah. So great. And three weeks later, I got it back. And, you know, okay. And up and running again. I mean, I was paying for that for probably a couple of years. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, and part of it, too, I didn't actually play violin, so I was like, am I going to spend, it would have been, I think, thousands to fix it. Sure. Or it was like, it's probably like a three or $400 violin. Yeah. Spend $2,000 yeah. trying to fix no, it, no, where they're like, literally grafting like splinters together right so that, that, like that is never going to sound the same no, again. No, exactly. Yeah. When, yeah. Because the wood and the, the lightweight you know, yeah. nature of and it, it wasn't it was a, like, like I said, it wasn't like a like high quality violin in the sure. first place. It was like a cheap violin that mm -hmm. only had sentimental value to me because my grandfather played it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But yeah. it's the same for me. Like my violin that I play now, my grandmother bought for me. It yeah. wasn't hers, but yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like I should just get a new instrument, and I keep right. getting it fixed when it breaks. So yeah. I understand that side of it too. Yeah. Yeah, that bass clarinet was like not expensive. To, to get okay. repaired. I mean, believe it or not. Yeah. Know? I was like, cause I would look, you know, I mean, like, as much as I'd love to own a bass clarinet, if this costs more than X amount of dollars, forget it. And yeah. The guy was like, oh, no, no, I can do this for, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I was like, okay. amazing. <laughs> you know, it doesn't play like, it's not perfect, but it's, I mean, like, I don't play it that often, so it's, it's yeah. fine for what it yeah. is. You know, if I played every day, I was like Jason Stein or something, I would probably, you know, upgrade to something right, else, right. but, you know, it's cool. Cool. Well, maybe just touching on the idea of like your instrument being broken, yep. and, you know, um, I had one show that was, I was playing with state champion and I think, I can't remember, we were in, we were in Iowa the night this happened and I don't remember where we were the night before, but we get to the show in Iowa and I didn't open my violin case until like right before we were going to play mm. to tune it and stuff. And my sound post had fallen down. Oh, and it's the kind of thing where, like, when you play guitar, it's really easy to just be like, okay. And I think one of the strings snapped, too, and the bridge fell down. Yeah. It was just a mess. So when you play guitar, it's easy enough to, like, 
find another one usually to like keep right, going with your set. Right. But with this, I just stood right. in the crowd and watched my band play, oh, you know, yeah. and it felt, you know, kind of, it was upsetting in some ways, yeah. but I also thought it was another perspective to have, like watching the people that you play with every night and right. see how they sound without you. Or, without you yeah. yeah. I, you just reminded me of something. Actually, I this is not this isn't a bad show for myself, but I, I was just out in Las Vegas for Psycho Vegas, and uh, one of the few non-metal acts that were playing was Rocket from the Crypt, mm-hmm. and they started, and I was, you know, well, I went to go watch that. I love I love that band. Yeah, and he says to the crowd like, "Hey, Paul's the saxophone player, saxophone player singer." He says, "Hey, Paul, just because your saxophone's broken doesn't mean you can't get up there and sing with us." And I, I instantly, like, I'm standing there, and Matthew Yakuza and another friend of mine, I, like, turn my head and I look, and they both look at me like, and I run to the side of the stage, I go, yo, you need a horn? And the trumpet t- 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 goes, yeah. I go, <laughs> two minutes! And I fucking ran through the pool at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, and I ran to our van and realized I had the keys on me. I'm like, fuck, they're in the hotel room. Into the elevator, up eight floors, go to the hotel room, get the keys, back down. Now I'm thinking, like, they're done. Their set's over with. They're still playing. Run to the van, grab my saxophone, run. And this is, like, a mile. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, And it's, like, hot. It's 90 degrees. It's Vegas. I'm like, I come back. I'm just pouring sweat. <laughs> Here <laughs> he goes. He just his, his he just puts the horn. He goes really, and, and like I don't know why. I mean, you always wet the reed before you play it. Yeah, I decided to do that for him. So <laughs> I sucked on the reed right from him, and his eyes got real big. And I go here. He goes all right, <laughs> and he finished the show. We got to play his last three songs. Amazing. And, uh, You're and, the uh, hero. Okay. And the thing was, after the show, he's like, he's like, get up here. And he's like, dude, I I don't know how to thank you. I'm like. I go, dude, you and me are the only two people that are playing horn at this fucking festival. He's like, I was going to say something on the mic, but what, you know, there's no one else here. Hey, I'm at a metal festival. Anyone got an extra saxophone? I'm like, yeah, he told me he was up in his, his hotel room. He was warming up, yeah. and he had to take a leak. He went back, thought he had closed his case, and he didn't. He picked it up, and the horn fell out. He broke a bunch of keys. Uh, and closing he was, the case. He closing yeah. the case. Always zip it partially <laughs> yep. or something. Latch one thing. Yeah, like, yeah he's like, I've been, been, I've been playing sax for you know 35 years, and this is the first time this ever happened. I'm like, I go, hey, man, we got to stick together. Yeah. 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 Us, us sax players at metal festivals got to stick together. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was asking me, he's like, what band are you in? What's going on? What's yeah, yeah. that? So, awesome. Yeah, that was kind of a funny thing. That's um, a great story. That's yeah. good. Show must go on, no matter what. <laughs> uh, the other, what, so I, I find it kind of funny. You know, it's like you tour, and of course we've all been there where you're just pretty much playing to nobody. Yeah, you know, or yeah. just with crowds of two, three, four people. Yeah, I had this conversation. This recently, I was having this conversation with other musicians. We're talking about you know the old days and stuff, and ah, oh, blah blah blah. That show kind of sucked. Yeah, there's nobody there. And I said, um, you know what? When people say that there's nobody there. There's always somebody there. Yeah. There's a door person. There's a sound person. And I said, I think I have you all beat. And they said, what? I'm like, I played a show to nobody. And they're like, well, explain this to me. And I'm like, okay. Yakuza, again, of course. Uh, this is 2006-ish. We're in Los Angeles. The old knitting factory. Yeah. The small room. Okay. Okay, so what they would, we're on some, like, nine-band bill. And it was, like, four... It was all, like, shitty metalcore and stuff. And, like, four of the bands were, like, L.A. proper. And they were, like, had a lot of... A lot of kids came to see him. And of course, they put us on last because for some reason, we could totally headline, you know. And uh, so what was happening was as throughout the, throughout the night, uh, bands were like selling the room out and then they would leave and then kids would leave and other kids would come in back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
Well, yeah, the ninth band. Uh, even the, the, the record label owner that we were on at the time, even left. Yeah. So we go on, this is an all-ages show. So there's no bartender. Let's go there. Um, the door person sits outside of the venue. We sound check, ready to go, couple kids. They just wandered off. Okay, sound person sets us up. We're halfway through the first song. I watch the sound person walk out the door. Right. There's literally <laughs> zero people in the room except for the four of us. Yeah. We're playing. And in I, practice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I look, and we just kept playing. Our drummer has his eyes closed, Jim. He's not even looking, so he has no idea. <laughs> Finally, I go, hey, hey. He's like, what? I'm like, there's nobody in here. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, Keep playing, right? <laughs> so we did. <laughs> so we played our set to yeah. nobody. Yeah. And then, you know, it got much better the next night. We went to San Francisco and we played to three people. The door person, the bartender, and the sound person. <laughs> All right. Making some yeah. progress. Yeah, hey, there we go. Three. That's now, the, this, that's this, come, this issue's come up, as you can imagine, a few times on this show. And it's it's made me sort of catalog my worst shows differently than I would have before, I guess. Exactly. And, and one of the things that comes up, I guess... Because you also play solo, mm-hmm. right? And um, there's still this difference between when you're playing solo and playing with a band, where like at least when you're playing with a band, there's in this case what three other people, mm-hmm. three or four on, right. on stage with you. So I played one show where there was literally no one in the room and just me. That's G. <laughs> Got me beat. <laughs> but, but I mean, but but I just think of even, even outside of just the question of like how many people, but there's something about, again, I'm saying this, but it's come up on the show uh, several times now where like, where you can look at your bandmates and be like, wow, that was terrible, right? Like, at least being able to relate and yeah. commiserate and say, man, that was shitty. Yeah, that was shitty. Fuck, that happened to all of us. You know, like we, we yeah. experienced it together, and, it, and sometimes it can sort of like, I won't say galvanize the band, but it, it, it you know, going yeah. through rough times can, yeah. can bring you together. Oh, most definitely, yeah, for sure. The, the exception of that, I guess, that's come up sometimes in the show is if the conflict is actually between people in the band, yeah. and then, you know, it's no consolation that that you're there with your right. with your friends if like your friends are the problem right yeah you could um, be all, back, um, all backstage you know at each other's throats after yeah. the show it's your but, fault but the one sh- I'm turn- I think it was in Ashland Oregon and I played it was a bar and it was the kind of place you didn't have a sound person anyway there was right. like I get there I didn't know this until I got there but it's like there's literally just the guy who is the, the bartender is also the person is also the door person right and there were no, there's no one else playing. I get there and I'm setting up, and it's just dead. Not a single person in there. And it's like uh, the show's supposed to start now-ish. Or should I play? And he's like, "Well, play. I mean, you can kind of hear it from the street. If you play, more people might come in. You know, foot traffic." And I'm like, "That's not really how that used to work." Heard, heard that one before. <laughs> but so I start playing, and then he goes out for a cigarette, and then that's when I'm like, "Oh." He's been outside for like 20 minutes now, and I'm just playing to an entirely empty room where I'm the that's... only person here, but <laughs> whatever, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, like, that's not even really an example of like a, a shitty show. I don't really care if they're, I mean, I, I appreciate when there's people there, of course, but yeah. if it comes down to, I, I just now look back at that and think that's like really funny. Like, yeah. Like, and, we, and of course, we kept playing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's our set, you know? Yeah. 
I think we're also worried about the 50 bucks we're going to get that night. So you're going to make sure that we <laughs> fulfill, makes, fulfilled our, our right. obligation. And this is the other part of it. I think in that show, I wasn't getting paid anything. It right. was like I was getting paid the door. Right. And so, so that was, if were, the door is no people, then and that's zero dollars. <laughs> yep. Zero dollars. Yeah. Coming in, zero dollars going out. Yeah. There's also times, though, when like a show happens and there are lots of people there, but then... For whatever reason, they migrate away from yeah. the, you know. I, I and that like hurts a little more. It does hurt it, a little more, but sometimes it's just some bizarre thing that happens sure. where, like, totally. there was a show state champion played in Memphis. It was a house show, and it was really fun. All the bands that played were fun. There were, like, 100 people there. Yeah. And then we start playing, and there's, like, maybe two people in the room. Yeah. And we're just like, what happened? Like, where is everybody? Right. So we just keep playing. And I'm pretty sure we sounded bad that night, too, you know? Yeah. And I was, like, nervous about it. But we found out after this, or not nervous about it, but, you know, everyone was just in a zone that wasn't good for playing. But we found out after our set that a fist fight had broken out uh, outside of the party between a man and a woman. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we were, you know, sort of like, we're like, well, we sounded really bad. It's kind of like better that nobody saw us play. At first we were like really bummed, yeah. but then we find out it was because of this like weird fist fight and, you know, it yeah. just turned into a weird thing. Yeah. So even though there were lots of people there. And I've been the person who's playing, you know, you're on tour, you're in a town where you don't know that many people and people are there to see the local band and then, you know, you come on and especially even if you're like in the middle and there's a local band first and everyone's in the room and then they're like oh it's a guy we don't know and just go oh, yeah, and yeah. have a yeah. cigarette or like All the time. talk in the, on the patio or whatever and then I've been that person plenty of times but I also now feel like it's so sad to watch that person if they actually if that person starts like vocally like like complaining or or like being mad at like you guys I'm putting I'm pouring my heart out here and yeah. you know it just it's so sad no, I like sure. I've seen it enough times where I'm like even if I'm really bummed I'm not gonna be that person who just now yells and sort of like is mad at the crowd because they're not being supportive as if they have an obligation to listen to you. like they right. don't they, yeah, nobody has to listen to your band. It's like having expect the difference between having expectations and not yeah. of like an audience, you True. know, where yeah. it's like you guys can go play a show to no one and it's fine because like you would, I mean, it's nice when there are people there, like you yeah. said, but ultimately like you want to play music and that's why you're out there doing exactly. what you do. So exactly. sometimes I think I'm going to push back against that a little bit only because I, I, I feel like okay. I love playing music. But if no one is at a show, I just assume play music like in my van or like in a park or somewhere else. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't tour just to play music on a stage for no people. I do think that playing music on a stage or in a corner that's <laughs> dimly lit or whatever, yeah. but like at a show, there is the hope of, of like you're playing this music hoping that somebody else gets something out of it. Yeah, and, for sure. And we will all have those shows where. That just doesn't happen for whatever reason. Sure, um, but I. Think but it's when you force those expectations on other people. Yeah, you like totally. you were t saying that. And I. That's that the part totally. about it. Yeah, I, no one has an obligation to be into your music. Nobody has to listen to you, and if they don't want to, then they're not going to. And to to cry about it on stage, it's it's one of those. It's like if somebody's breaking up with you and you try to argue with them, like. That's not gonna work. No one's ever changed their mind because you guilted them into listening to you. And then, and then if they are staying out of obligation, 
then it's not the thing you were going for anyway, hopefully, you know, like, yeah. that's not the same as actually, like, making music that touches somebody or that influences or, or like, moves somebody in some way, if they're just there because it would be rude to leave, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's, that's also, to me, sometimes that's worse, like, playing a show that's to almost nobody except for, like, two of your friends who are too nice to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they have that real odd look on their face, like, oh. Yeah, and they're, they're oh. just being or, nice. Like, I just, mean, just get out of here. <laughs> I mean, I've, I played a show, there's a little town, uh, San Luis Obispo, California, which is uh, pretty close to where I grew up, mm-hmm. and there's been times where I play a show and, like, family members come to that, and they don't, they're not into my music. Like, they love me, they want to support yeah. me, they're not into my music. And I feel way worse having folks in the crowd who I know are not into this but are just there because they're like well he's our cousin we should go <laughs> see him or whatever uh, yeah and then they're like I'll try to cut this short <laughs> it's, it's like a, I had my, my, my uncle Rob um, he uh, he had some ear damage in uh, he was in the service when he was younger so yeah. when rock and roll hit that's what he told me he's like he, he couldn't take it like this that even get Elvis Presley oh. was like it was too much for him so okay. he would never come to see any of my bands because he was like he had no concept of it but he did come to see Yakuza one time okay. at Metro because he knew the Metro he's like well if he's playing the Metro I gotta go to this and yeah. Yeah. he stood in the back against the wall with a picture of my grandmother because <laughs> grandma had to be there you know, I, was, I, was, I was the favorite grandson so he was just there and he, I could see him from the stage and I'm just like oh was he wearing earplugs or protection? I don't know. He actually came up to me after the show and he's like, you know, I don't get what you do musically, but I love that. I'm like, what? Yeah. He's like, I just loved the performance. So he's like, you command that stage. I, I was like, hold. I was like, I mean, it was the sweetest thing someone could say, but at yeah. the same time, I'm like, oh, the poor guy came and handled it. He's like, <laughs> you know, I didn't know about the picture of grandmother until after the show. He's like, oh, Grandma's here. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Grandma would like to see her. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to say uh, really quick, to tie in like the festival stuff and the expectation. Yeah. You know, I worked South by Southwest a few times. Yeah. I worked at um, Red 7 when it was open. I would bark, I would basically, I would go down there for 10 days and I would work from open to close just to make the money, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I see the day shows and they're always packed because they're, you know, sponsored, they're free and all the shit, but at night, you have the showcases, okay? Mm. Twice in one week, I witnessed these bands that got on the showcase because it's gonna be a thing for them, you know, it's gonna make their careers or whatever. And yeah. Five people in the audience. Right. And the kid that goes, oh, we drove 37 hours to <laughs> set. And I'm in the back going, oh my God, I don't know that feeling, but seriously, <laughs> I stopped doing this a long time ago. And then literally like, <laughs> Bam, throw the mic down three songs in and walk off because they just can't even handle the fact that oh, like, they man. just drove 40 hours to make it play South by Southwest and there's literally nobody there. Yeah. Well, you know. yeah, and that's something that, like, South by Southwest, I helped organize a showcase for a label that I was working sure. at one time and have played a few years, or played for a few years with my band. But after those first few years of playing with my band, I swore off ever going back sure. because it's yeah. just like, you know, there's no. It's hard to pay for hotel rooms, or you know, there is a lot of free food, free beer around, and like free showcases that aren't a part of like the actual industry thing. Yeah. But you know, it makes certain things like less accessible for bands when they do show up. The audience right. is less accessible. Yeah, exactly. I, I was gonna say that's how I actually got the work in Austin was that I knew. Um, 
Craig Stewart, who's like in the in the office there, and we were just friendly by email. And I, said, you know, once after five years of playing there and having that happen a bunch, I wrote to him like, I, I can't come down there, man. I'm broke. I'm like, can I bartend somewhere or something while I'm right. there? And he's like, Are you kidding me? I'm like, <laughs> No, I'm dead serious. I mean, anywhere. And he's like, No one's ever asked that before. I'm like, okay. No one's ever asked to like from out of town. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. locals do it, but yeah. no one from like. He's like, all of a sudden, there's a place called North Door. He's like, hey, North Door's got two shifts for you. And I was like, okay, now I'll come down. <laughs> and then, as I was bartending. We're not just like putting right, everything out Play a couple shows, and, like, and I'd bartend a few shifts, and we also wanted it off. So I actually picked up another shift, and I was like, oh. And then the, the bar manager and I hit it off. He's like, you're going to come back next year? And they loved it because they didn't have to like hire anybody with any expectation that you're going to work past this festival. I'm right. like, oh, I'll totally do this. And then I, I realized after like two years of this, I'm like, man, screw playing this thing. I'm just going to work. <laughs> So I stopped, I stopped playing South by Southwest and I just went down there to work all the time. Okay. I mean, seriously, I would be like, woohoo. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah. in the money. <laughs> so. Oh, man, that's hilarious. I mean, I know a bunch of locals who have this. I mean, I, I hate South by Southwest personally. Or I don't I hate it. I've only been once. And yeah. it's just. But it, it, it represents what I hate about the music industry, this whole idea of exposure rather than being paid or like exposure rather than actually having a good experience. Sure. I don't know, this whole myth that, that some record exec's going to be in the room and discover you and then that's going to be... That's what I'm saying. Like these, mean, A couple of these bands, like, so there's nobody in the audience there. They totally like drove 37 hours to right. play one show because yeah. they got this chance that, you know, hey, I'm, you know, Jane or Joe Blow from... Polydor Records and I'm going to sign you right here on right. the spot. I mean, come on. You know, yeah. like that's... I mean, maybe that happens like... Does it? I mean, I'm saying if that happens at all, it's it your chances... It's it's like moving to L.A. to be an yeah, actor. It's like buying a lottery know, ticket like, yeah. and hitting, you know, like, come yeah. on. It's totally lottery mentality. It's like, like Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying it's exactly the same thing. But yeah. I mean, people also do that. People move to New York, to L.A. to like make it and they think, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to be a model. I'm whatever. And like... That does happen, sure. some somebody, but oh, yeah. your odds are pretty fucking slim. And yeah. so then you have these towns that are overpopulated with people who moved there to make it, who were still bussing tables or you know, sure. doing other stuff. Sure. But uh, it's great when you actually want to bartend. <laughs> actually, that's what that's actually what you do. <laughs> yeah, I'm like okay, <laughs> and have a good time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and I think with something like South by Southwest, after a certain period of time, it was just like. I figured out what I enjoyed about going, and it was just like seeing my friends that are in right. other bands right. that are from all over the country, yep. and like you exactly. come together in this one place and get to see each other play, and like that's enough for me. Right. Like, I don't really want to deal with being there for a whole week, but being there for two or three days yeah. and saying hi to everybody. I, I, like, I felt the exact up. same way, and so that yeah. so then it turned into well, I'm here. Shit, hey, I'm bartending over at Red Seven. Oh, great! So we would come see me. Because right. like, oh, Bruce is bartending, yay, you know, yeah. like, and then, you know, all industry friends and band friends and all that stuff, and we'd get yeah. to hang out, you'd get to see each other, and that, yeah. that's cool, you know. That was the one thing I, that I was enjoyed as well, too, is to see other people, that I'm like, well, I'm just going to take the, hauling the gear around on, on foot, <laughs> yeah. you know, to like six different clubs <laughs> out of the equation, and just stand behind the bar and make money, all right, you know, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not that money rules at all, but it, it helps a little yeah. bit, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, it helps if you're... That's, I mean, that's what you do yeah. as a living anyway that yeah. you enjoy. And so yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and maybe it's weird, too, because South by Southwest is so huge, and it, it's become, like, the place where, okay, you can go there and you will see all these musicians from all over. But I'm, like, 
keep crossing my fingers that other festivals will get. <laughs> you know, like my favorite festival in the states is uh, Tree Fort in Boise, Idaho, and it's not obviously it's nowhere near as big as South by Southwest, but it's an actual festival where people who play there get paid and like good shows get put together. Mm-hmm. And the guy Eric Gilbert who runs it, who like books it, does a really good job of like instead of it just being like here's a label showcase where like every bill is thought out I mean even though it's a festival and you know people are coming in and out of different venues you know they're thoughtful bills where oh this these bands make sense together sure. and this would be like a cool and there's been a number of times where even though there's things happening in 15 different venues I'm just like I'm just gonna stay here because this this was like a bill that was meant for me right. you know and, and yeah. it's not against nowhere near as big as South by Southwest but every every year that I go I've gotten four years now I always see a bunch of friends and like it's cool to be like oh this band from Portland this band from Denver and yeah. you know friends all, all show up yeah. And, yeah. and hang and I don't know I don't know I imagine there's some of that that cropped out and like most festivals that get a following you end up like seeing your buds you know sure. if, if you go there a couple years in a row or something yeah and I think it's always interesting to see how like the staff of a festival or the conceiver the people who conceive it kind of like how it comes to fruition and how the audience becomes a part of it and you know I like cropped out because it's I always say it's a festival for people who don't like festivals okay. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Um, because it's you know a lot of the bands most of them or you know half of them are smaller and come from all over the country and then some of them are bigger and a lot of them are local and uh, but there's this kind of like common ideology in terms of how people are making music regardless of whether it's hip-hop or free jazz or folk or whatever that exists in like the way that it's curated and each festival or the ones that are successful at doing it I think they're finding the audience for that and the you know the like minds that kind of come together and Mm -hmm. enjoy it together but I think this whole if you're curating a festival that encourages this what you were talking about Bruce the this like drive 37 hours in hopes of making it of of like being signed which I don't know if South by Southwest is doing that on purpose but like that is it's the way they sell it to bands yeah it's like like it's gonna be a good industry insiders will be here and you you know you get your chance to play in front of yeah and then you the important people yeah and you have a choice between $250 or wristbands for everyone Right, right you know it's like I don't know. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's really not. You know, enough pay to really do anything. But yeah, wait, at the same wait, time, you want to hang out for the weekend. You're like, mm-hmm. well. You and I've play. never, I've never played there and actually done the official shows. But it's it's one or the other. So if you get paid, then oh, you dude, don't. is it two fifty now? I don't even know. Honestly, like I've heard lots of numbers from different people, um, but most of them are low. Yeah, you know? it's probably not the same for every band. But, yeah, but I just mean, do you think it's usually either? you get paid or you get to come to the other shows? In mm-hmm. the experience that I've had with yep. like curating and then they, you know, they kind of like a lot of bands sell their wristbands to uh, other people yeah, totally. for 200 bucks a piece or whatever. Like, and these are people who are attending the festival who want backstage access and want that kind of like oh. artist type of access they or to be able that. to get into the official showcases. So they pay more money for the wristbands yeah. like day of. I so, can. 
Potentially, but if you get caught doing it as a band, you get in trouble. So you could potentially, if you have four people in your band and everybody sells the wristband halfway through the week for 200 bucks a piece, you're making $800 <laughs> instead of the 250 bucks that you're getting offered by the festival, you know, yeah. who yeah. are not offering you lodging, who you might have to pay like insurance to be a part of like a showcase, you know, yeah. it's, it's wild. Going back to the, the, the band that, you know, drives 37 hours and hoping to in front of industry giants or whatever uh, <laughs> like I sympathize with that band I just think of it it's it's like it's like somebody going out on a date as a teenager and being like oh like that guy was a dick and I'd be like yeah most guys are dicks you should be aware of that not that it's your fault or anything but just that is a good thing to know early on yeah and, and i mean and, over time you figure out what your preferences are for the yeah. kinds of shows you want to play and the types of places you want to play that's that, whether yeah. that's like a festival or a venue or you prefer house shows because of the vibe or True. you prefer yeah. playing theaters with seating because you like when it's a calm scenario yeah. whatever it is and like just, you those, figure it out those bands i now i want to like take them aside and be like hey so that's a Ponzi scheme. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't fall for it. Yeah. I mean, play music that you want to play and try to book shows where you enjoy the touring instead of like hauling ass across the entire country to play one show that's not going to pay you and then playing for nobody because you wanted to be part of some label. For sure, but it, cares about it. I think that takes a while to figure out though. Yeah, totally. You know? it, it does, but I'm just saying now, I guess I'm saying this also because. I mean, you guys probably get this too. When you've been in it a while, there will be people, newer bands, who are like, "Hey, so we're we're gonna go on tour. We're gonna do this." And sometimes we'll like ask your advice. And if anything, I think that's this show is like this. You know, the one of the hopes is like, okay, maybe young bands will hear this stuff and be like, "Oh yeah, don't do that. Learn from our mistakes." Well, it was really interesting when you asked me to do this because I've been joking for like years about just collecting worst show stories from okay. people and putting them together in some kind of like book yeah. you know yeah um just because there are books out there that exist that like single people have written just about their overall careers their and yeah. those things come up but having like I've best show and worst show and why is it the best show why yeah. is it the worst show and what can we learn from talking about this together yeah you know and i part of it is too like when i talked about that when you're on band, on tour with other folks and you get to commiserate a little bit I've I've found both for me personally and I've noticed this with other folks where there's something about sharing your worst experience or one a really bad experience that like at least you can like kind of joke about it sure. in, in hindsight and be like yeah that's we all pay our dues or whatever you know I, we, I also we just know. thought of another another story okay that's great right <laughs> again like these, these you know bands that are driving 37 hours to play yeah. one show for whatever reason it is industry you think. I mean, that happened kind of to Yakuza. This was 2003. We had put an album out uh, late in 2002, and it got a lot of great reviews, and there was like a lot of like kind of spotlight on us a little bit. So we were like one of the bands that like our label at the time was like, you guys have to go back. We played the year before, and like you guys have to go back down because you're like one of the bands that people want to see. And, you know, little did they know that we were like having problems internally. We had fired a guitar player, and like it was like we, we were just barely keeping it together. Yeah. And we had to go do this. It's up, and we all knew we were gonna lose money and all this shit. And we all looked at each other like, "All right." I mean, like Austin Chronicle wrote us up as like the band to see the one day or whatever. So right. we had to go, you know. Well, we had this band, 
you, you know vans. Uh, it was it was an E three fifty. Oh yeah. Um, that uh, had some had some electrical issues that we didn't really know about until about eh, six hours into the drive. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's this weird smell, and we're like, "What is that smell?" And I looked at the hood. I'm like, "Holy shit!" And the battery is bubbling over. Like the oh. I'm like, Whoa, I've seen that before, Whoa. and that is really scary. Real scary. So I'm like, <laughs> you think it's just gonna blow um, up? You know, we have one guy in the band who kind of knows cars, and I'm like, "What do you think?" He's like, nah, "I don't know." Let's drive a little, a little further and see what happens. So we drive a little further. The smell's just coming in, and we're like, oh, what do we do? Well, okay, let's get a new battery. Cool. We get rid of that battery, get another battery, put it in, drive 60 miles. Same thing happens to the new battery. We're like, okay, um, options, anybody? What do you think? You know, well, like, you said 16 miles? 60 miles. 60, yeah. okay. And it, it starts to overheat again. So that we're, hour, right, exactly. Day. And like lights inside the van are starting to act a little weird, and we're like, oh, man, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And so we came up with the logical conclusion that we should have another battery and we'll just swap the batteries out every 60 miles <laughs> but the stink the smell was so like overwhelming that we couldn't leave it in the van with us so we bungeed it to the back bumper <laughs> and, and we I mean that's what we well we when I say we it was me I drove almost the whole way and let me tell you when you have to stop every 60 miles to change a battery, oh my God. it took. We left it, oh God. and we drove to like straight past it. <laughs> what, what should take fifteen hours took like thirty five. Oh my like gosh. it was it was insane, and I was awake the whole time. Like I was yeah. like, oh my God. fried out. Like, oh my God. I'm looking at the whole band sleep, and I'm driving. You know, that's the is, point when you're like, is it really worth it? That's, to I'm do like, this? why are we <laughs> like, doing yeah. this? You know, like what, what is the point of this? Yeah. And uh, somewhere, oh, this gets even better. I forgot about the other part. Uh, somewhere in Oklahoma, we were just fed up with swapping the batteries out so somebody in the band had this brilliant idea like i think once you start the car we don't need a battery anymore and i'm like what do you mean they're like yeah just you know <laughs> alternate will keep the power going i go i've never heard that before and he's like no i think it's, I think it's true and i was like all right let's try it so we started the car and we unhooked the battery and now at this time, this time I think our bass player was taking a, a turn to drive, and he just like went to rev the engine up, and it goes, whoop, boom, and every light in the van and in on the front lights, the back lights, every light in the car all blew out. Oh. We had no headlights, we had no nothing. It's middle of the night, and we're like, what the fuck? Like he's like, well that didn't go so well. <laughs> we're in the middle, we're in the middle of nowhere, and I'm like, God, I go, what are we? We got to get some headlights now. Yeah. So we like put the battery back in. And drove down the side of the road in the middle of the night with no lights. Wait, you don't mean just that they went out. You mean blew no, out. No, blew out. We blew out the front. And like, oh, so this is, <laughs> this is even funnier. When he blew out the lights, he blew out the low beams, but not the high beams. So we still had the high beams. And then he touched the gas pedal again and blew those out. So we had oh, no lights. Fuck. We had zero lights. I mean, wow. we were driving down the road. That's so and dangerous. You couldn't, yeah, we had to go like 15 miles to like the next like like uh, truck stop or whatever oh, to get. And we had to fuck. rebuy bulbs for all that stuff we blew out. Yeah. Yep. So we did that and then yeah, we finally got, I remember like we got into Texas in the morning. They were all still sleeping and this might have been right when they, you weren't, you, you could drink and you, not the driver, but you could have alcohol open in, in your vehicle until about 2004, I think, ish. I think Tennessee is still allows it. Yeah. yeah. So well, I, I, I think I think statute of limitations is okay at this point. Uh, I was so fried out that I had to pull into a gas station and I bought a six pack of beer and I just kept driving and I was just drinking Shinerbox all the way to 
to the gig because <laughs> yeah. like you know and uh, yeah we got we finally got into Austin you know day of the gig which was not the plan we were going to get there the day before and I was fried out and took the van to uh, um, Firestone and we went and played the gig and you know talked to the Firestone people like yeah it's this 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 we can fix it for you I'm like cool and uh, went back over there and right in front of me they turned the van on I'm like oh the van's running like yeah it's all running and the guy hit the gas pedal and a bunch of shit blew out again Oh. And we were stuck there for almost a week. Oh my gosh! Yeah, until I finally had gotten fed up and was like, we and we were staying in this hotel room. The show went terrible. I mean, I was I couldn't I couldn't I was like blind, so tired, and like we just had a bad show and yeah. it got written up as a bad show. Oh, like yeah. it was like dis like everyone's y- exhausted. Yakuza like, disappoints, you know, like yeah. and like and our the filling guitar player he got they kind of honed in on him. Like as being the problem, oh, no. so he quit the band, like right. right then and there. I was like, okay, you're gone. I'm like, wow, this is really worth Wait, it. Like he quit in Austin. Uh, he like, waited. We got home, but like, okay, yeah, yeah. He, but he was, uh, he had gotten, he was really upset. And I guess I don't even, th- I didn't even think about that. That when you when you go do a show because you have the spotlight on you, that yeah. also means like you better bring your A game. Yeah, and we did, and <laughs> yeah. we to- and we totally did not. Yeah, if you show you know, up having been on the road for twice as long as you meant to and then yep. yeah, have yeah. All those sessions. I, I mean like, I can't explain yeah. it I mean, like, oh I don't want to sound like that person like you have no idea <laughs> <laughs> I just drove 30 hours straight <laughs> well, yes. look at me I'm falling apart <laughs> I didn't say a word right. we just played our show yeah. I yep. think there's a human way of doing that where if you just like man this tour has been insane you know or, or whatever yeah. there's a way to do it where it's not someone who's like mad at the crowd for oh, not yeah. appreciating what I've got yeah, yeah no yeah you never know? It's, it's another thing if you can relate it and just in a human way and just say like man you guys you know I think sometimes when somebody on stage is sick you know I've had that I've seen that where someone's like hey you guys I'm really glad to be here just so you know I'm really sick so like yeah. I'm I'm Operating it like yeah. half energy yeah. right now. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah, you, you definitely feel for that one a little yeah. bit more than just like, oh, boo hoo, we right. expected right. there to be. Because it's also like, and I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still glad to be here. Yeah. And that kind of sometimes can add a level of perseverance. Like, this yeah. is this is what's important is to do yeah. shows. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of what kept me going in the van on the way down. I mean, like, as crazy as this was getting, we're like right. blowing out lights and we got these batteries and got to stop every hour. And yeah. I was like, and I've, I've felt this way since I've started playing bands. It's like the show must go on. This yeah. goes, I know it's, you know, old cliche, but it's like it goes if we're doing the work, the festival stuff, something goes wrong, we're not going to just like throw our hands up there. Okay, another instance when it comes to that, I was in LA, LA about a year and a half ago and Sandra Parker was doing a solo set with Helen Money mm. um, at this place. And during his sound check, um, the power amp blew out, blew mm. up. Um, yeah. And we have friends in LA, so you know, we all, I'm just standing watching the show, and I was like, "Oh shit, let's call so and so, blah blah blah." And we start doing this, and the owner of the club, there's a line of people outside. You know, they're gonna open doors in a few minutes. Not tons, but enough. And the owner of the club's like, "I don't want some weird power amp coming into this. I don't want you ruining my speakers." And this was like a trained technician guy that we knew that was coming. I'm like, well, I'm like and I'm, I'm now I'm starting to like chime in. I guess you know who I am. Like I'm just some random guy in the street, and this guy's right. like. No, we're just gonna cancel the show. And I'm like, to my go, I'm canceling the show. Yeah, get a piano stick or something. So he goes, who the fuck are you? I go, who the fuck are you? Like, I, I got hot and bothered because this guy. I'm like, this is L.A. You're gonna cancel a show? You don't cancel a show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we can do anything to make this work, and they fucking cancel the show um, because this dude and the guy, and the, my friend came down with another power amp. It's exact same one. He's trying to explain. I'm like, it's the exact same thing. It's, it's the same thing. And the guy would not budge. He's like, yeah. no. 
these are $10,000 speakers and blah, blah, blah. I go, then go get a piano stick and play on the floor. We can make this happen. Yeah. And, he's, and he's getting more angry because I'm chiming in. I, should, right. I just want the show to go on. That's yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, because here in Chicago, that would never happen. You would never cancel a show like that. You would make it work some way, you know, somehow, some way. Yeah. And here we are. And I was just, I, I got way too lippy. It really, yeah. really pissed this guy off. I'm like, <laughs> oh, fucking LA, man, what the fuck? I don't see all this, like, flipping out. I'm like, but yeah, the show must go on. And whether you're back a house, you know, doing concessions or you're playing a gig, it's got to happen. That's it. You know I mean? You commit to doing something, yeah. it's got to go down. Period. Yeah. I think the only like, time... It's bad to cancel. It's like, the worst. I think you cancel if you, like, actually literally can't play the show. And that's the only time that... You know, there's okay. There, you're, you get into an accident and you gotta go to the hospital. Yeah, the show's over. Sometimes well, weather too. You yeah. know, like oh, it, plenty inclement weather. Like, I definitely there was a van that we drove for a while in state champion that the heater was broken yeah. and we ended up driving from Cincinnati to Chicago in the middle of an ice storm and. You know, at certain points it was like hail, like a layer of ice was forming on the windshield yeah. as we would go. So every 15 to 20 minutes we'd have to pull over and scrape the whole yeah. windshield off. And it's just like, at that point, it's not safe to drive for yeah. anybody involved, yeah. you know. And like you don't, I don't think we had a show that night. I think we were just trying to get back home or something, yeah. you know. But that same thing has come up before. And, yeah. You know. I don't expect everyone to have this ethic, but I'm kind of with Bruce on this one where... If I physically can get to the show, then I'm going to play the show. For sure. And it might be a pain in the ass. I mean, I actually had a similar... Well, last winter, my my heater went out, and I went to go try to fix it. It was just more money than I had. I just didn't have the money. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to have a heater this winter. Yeah. And it sucked. It was fucking awful. But, like, you just... There were, it was really, I was in New England, it was fucking cold, yeah. and it was worse because I was also, I was still working on that album where I was recording a song in every state, yeah. and there were a couple of states in New England where I didn't have a place to record, so I was going to record in my van, so I'm like That's trying to, to record. It's hard to play, when you're like freezing. It's like 10 degrees yeah. out, yeah. which means it's 10 degrees in the van, because right. yeah. there's no heater. It was rough, but I'm committed, this is what I'm doing, I'm going to record a song here, yeah. and I'm going to play a show. Uh, there's also a... There was one time when this made me think of it when you're talking about having to stop to change the battery where I, I had a cooling leak, but I was like in Salt Lake City. I realized I saw like a puddle of coolant under my van and checked it out a little bit. I'm not super mechanically inclined, but checked it out. There was another guy at the show that looked at it with me. He was like, yeah, you got to, I can't see exactly where it's leaking, but you definitely got to leak. So I was playing in Idaho Falls the next day. Like, I was planning on spending that night in Salt Lake City. Like, I just played a show, was going to spend the night, leave for Idaho Falls the next day. But then I'm like, okay, I think, because I'm not going to get this fixed between now and then, what I'm going to have to do is start driving now and basically just, like, buy a bunch of coolant or, like, you know, yeah. coolant and water and, and just keep, like, drive until I'm on the verge of overheating and then, like, give it a rest, fill it back up drive some more and at night it, it meant something like driving for probably like 30 to 40 minutes then having to stop for probably like about 20 minutes mm -hmm. to let it cool down yeah. and then driving again yeah. and so I did that until probably like 3 in the morning but then I still only got halfway there and so then the next day went, and then it was hot you know it was like in the summertime 
the next day I was trying to do that again and then it was like drive for 10 minutes oh, and yeah. have to wait for like 40 minutes right. <laughs> and then after doing that for a little bit I was like okay this I did the math I was like I'm still not going to get there on time like I have to get towed I guess and then so then I got a tow truck to come get me and haul me into Idaho Falls took the van to a mechanic who I had talked to on the phone that day and then you know unfortunately the guy who had booked the show I talked to him and let him know what was going on he was able to come to the garage and pick me up for the show and then like I went back the next day to get my van and it was yeah. fine but yeah I that night was like Ugh. The night was okay. It was shitty, but it, but it was definitely those ways. Like, okay, the shit that I do to get to the show. Yeah, time, right. You know? I mean, yeah, you know? totally. You know? But then during the day, I realized, like, okay, it's not just a matter of I'm willing to do what it takes. Like, this actually won't get it done. Yeah. Like, I was trying to avoid getting towed, but um, I have AAA. I'll do AAA a, gold. I'll do a premiere. Premiere. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Because it gives you up to. I'm, I'm, so funny doing commercials for AAA. Here. 100 miles towing in any direction from where you break down? That's uh, Well, it depends on the state. But in Washington, which is where I, I don't live there, but that's where I have a AAA membership, yeah. it's up to four tows of 200 miles. Wow. Yeah. All right. Ooh, Good tour, to know. I'm going to have to upgrade with my membership. I, exactly. So <laughs> I'm totally going to upgrade. <laughs> yeah. And it's the kind of thing where sometimes you don't use it and it's whatever. But it, I think it costs like 100 and. Twenty hundred thirty dollars, so worth it. So worth it. And I, when I started this permit tour, I didn't have AAA. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was like midway through this tour that I was like, yeah, yeah I should really have AAA. <laughs> no, it's... it makes a world difference. But you can get towed to a to a show. I mean, up to two hundred miles. That's that's awesome. And because AAA is not really one centralized thing. I mean, it's it's sort of like a franchise almost, where like there's separate clubs, in clubs. different parts of the country. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes it's like one state has its own club, or sometimes a couple states, yeah. or sometimes with larger states, there's multiple clubs in the state, like California. And if you get towed from one sort of club zone to the next, they don't know what happened in the previous club. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so you have like a map of all the AAA clubs. Well, I don't have a country. map, but I I. <laughs> Some you just have to know when you because there's times when I had to get towed multiple times to get to where I needed to get to. Yeah. You know, where like I have a show in Austin and I'm in Georgia and it's a thousand miles. This happened once where I got towed five times of like <laughs> exactly 200 miles. Wow. I, you know, you have to, there's some work, you, it doesn't just happen automatically. You have to like figure out what's a like garage or gas station or something that's pretty much exactly 200 miles and you have to say that's where I have to get to yeah and act like it's a coincidence that it happens to be 200 miles yeah. and yeah. then once you get there you wait for that tow truck to leave and then you call AAA again and it's it's a different Close operator that's a different that's yeah. genius I love that <laughs> wow I've had to do it a couple times I was gonna say can you do a whole tour I've definitely thought of it wow that's always been my like excuse me Sir, there, there is not an engine in this van. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How are you getting from point A to point B? Well, funny you ask. Um, oh, here he comes. Beep, beep. Here's the tow truck. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. See ya. No, I totally thought it, it would take a lot of planning. It would be, but it wouldn't be that much more than paying for gas. Yeah, man. Like it, it, I think now. I I also because I drive a Sprinter. 
I have the like RV membership, which is a little more, mm-hmm. just because there's been times where some clubs won't tow a vehicle as large as mine right. on the regular one. So right. I, I just got the RV one, and it's, I think it's like 135 or something like that for the for you guys. I mean, 120 or something, mm-hmm. something like that. All of this seriously, because if you get, I've I've had that where we had a Sprinter flatbed tow 40 miles into like Pittsburgh, and yeah. it cost a few hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. one yeah. time. Right. You, pay, you pay that a year, and you even no. get two, one or two big half toes. Of that a year. Oh, yeah. that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's $150 or something a year, and then it's four up to four toes. That's so incredible. even if you only use two of them, yeah, it's still worth it. That's completely worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's even if you only have to get towed across town. Yeah. I mean, if it's like because the hookup fee usually, and then just even being right. towed like ten miles, it's right. going to be over a hundred dollars. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yep. So yeah, it's yep. it's a it's a bargain, yep. listeners. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> Triple A, premium. You can totally. I'm serious. Send this to them right now. Like, like, look at what they're saying about you. This episode of Worst Show Ever was made possible by the Patreon pledges of the one of Fryman, Meg Roberts, Christina Poez, and Evan Quayberg. If you'd like to support this endeavor, please go to patreon.com slash worst show ever.